0: Hi, and welcome back to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. This week, Pastor Scott wraps up his series on love and relationships with a sermon entitled, Being a Good Friend Takes a Lot of Work, taken from the text of Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you. Have a great week. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. But this morning we're going to uh, I'm going to wrap up this series. We're going to talk about being a good friend. Okay? Um I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, kind of a rhetorical question, but how many really good friends do you have? How many How many friends do you have? I mean, I hope you know part of being a part of a church body is we're friends, amen? We're friends. And so you, you have friends here. If you don't have, if you burned every other bridge, I want you to know you have some friends here, okay? Uh, and we will be your friends. We want to be your friends. But I want to talk to you this morning about being a good friend because here's the deal. I believe most people don't know how to be a good friend. People want friends. They want um, good relationships, but they don't know how to be good friends. New York Times columnist David Brooks recently went around the country interviewing students at some of the most prestigious campuses in America. He admits that the students that he met only represent a tiny slice of the rising generation, but still their comments are striking. He concludes his article in this way. He said, I came away from these conversations struck by the pervasive but subtle hunger for a change in the emotional tenor of life. One student said, we're more connected now than ever, but we're also more apart. I think that's very telling about our our, our generation now. Again and again, he said, students expressed a hunger for social and emotional bonding, for a shift from guilt and accusation towards empathy with each other. One student asked, how do you create relationship? I think that's telling in and of itself that somebody has to ask that question. How do you create relationship? Uh, That may be the longing that this generation has that undergirds all the other longings that they have. Real relationships, friends, real friendships. Isn't that what people really want? I believe it is. And can you blame them? Six years ago, in 2015, The late, great basketball star, Kobe Bryant. Everybody knows who Kobe Bryant is, right? Um, A tragic um, uh, helicopter crash. But before that, Kobe was interviewed by GQ magazine. In that interview, Kobe was asked this simple question. He was asked if he had any friends. This is Kobe Bryant. I mean, how many There's 7 billion people on the planet, I would say, Who hadn't heard of Kobe Bryant, right? But here's what he said. This is so telling. He said, when asked if he had friends, here's how he answered. He said, I have like minds. You know, I've been fortunate to play in Los Angeles where there are a lot of people like me, actors, musicians, businessmen, obsessives, people who feel like God put them on earth to do whatever it is that they do. Now, do we have time to build great relationships? Do we have time to build great friendships? No. Do we have time to socialize and to hang out aimlessly? No. And he says, do we want to do that? No. I don't believe him. We want to work, he says, and I enjoy working. Then the interview went a step further. It said, do you miss the idea of having a great friendship? Here's how he responded. He said, of course. It's not like I'm saying I don't need friends because I'm so strong. It's a weakness. When I was growing up in Italy, He said, I grew up in isolation. I was the only black kid. I didn't speak the language. I'd be in one city, and then we'd move to a different city, and I'd have to do everything all over again. I'd make friends, but I'd never be a part of the group because the other kids were already growing up together. So this is how I grew up, and these are the weaknesses that I have. Now, I believe a lot of people can identify with what Kobe says there. Um, They want to have friends. They want to have close relationships. They want to have close friendships uh, with people outside of just their family. You know, I think the older we get, sometimes we we just go back to just our family. And li- listen, I hope your family are your friends. We need to develop friendships outside of that. Amen. For whatever reason, however, like Kobe Bryant, a lot of people. Don't have friends, maybe because of lack of opportunity, maybe because of like Kobe, they moved around a lot or as adults, they move around a lot. Maybe they don't know how to make friends, but for whatever reason, many people just don't have a lot of friends. The reality is, here's what I believe. I believe most people don't know how. Most people don't know how to make friends. Um, they're waiting on other people to reach out to them and they're saying, and when when nobody does, you know what happens oftentimes? You've heard somebody say this, right? Oh, they just don't like me. Um, They're just not friendly. Uh, This place, and, and whether it's people talking about the church or talking about wherever, they say this place is just full of cliques. People say that about their schools, right, growing up. It's just full of cliques, and because of that mindset, many people just shut down, and they stop even trying to make friends. Now, can that happen where other people maybe are mean to us? And Sure, it can happen. It does happen. Um, but as Proverbs 18 says, the way to have friends is to be a friend. And I want to talk, to you, talk to, to you about that this morning. Do you know why it's so hard for many people to make friends? It's so hard for many people to make friends because being a friend is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I want to talk to you this morning. I hope you picked up an outline on the way in. Three simple things that I believe um, should characterize us and uh, activities as we're trying to be a friend. Three actions that we can take um, and what it means really to be a friend. So if you want to know how to be a friend, this is it. Okay? Take these. Put them in your toolbox. Um, I hope you start to live it out. Number one. Number one is this: friends, being a good friend means being willing to get involved, it means being willing to get involved in other people's life. We're going to look at Luke chapter ten this morning, and the passage we're going to look at is a probably a very familiar passage to you. It's the passage and the uh, story of the Good Samaritan. How many of you have heard of the story of the Good Samaritan before? Right, everybody, a lot of unbelievers have heard of the story of the Good Samaritan. Right, well this story starts out in verse 25 with a pointed, very pointed question to Jesus. Look at verse 25. Luke writes, it says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. So let me pause there for just a minute. When we hear the word lawyer, we may think prosecutor, defender. That's not really the type of lawyer we're talking about here. Uh, We're talking about uh, possibly a scribe, um, but this was a religious leader, if you will, someone who was an expert in the Jewish law, in God's law, in the Mosaic law. And so he was supposed to be a religious leader. And so he stands up, part of that religious elite that was feeling, um, uh, f- feeling antagonistic, to- antagonistic towards Jesus. And so he stands up and he asks Jesus a question. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a great question, Amen. That's a question many people won't admit today, but a question we all ought to be asking, right? What, 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 what do I do? What shall I do if I want to want to be saved? If I want to uh, live past when I'm gonna when when my physical body dies? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. The problem with his question was it really wasn't an honest question from him. The Scripture says that he was testing Jesus, but nevertheless, Jesus turns it, about, turns it right around on him in verse 26, which um, is a great thing. Um, you want how to know how to talk to people about the Lord? Um, let's follow, follow the example of Jesus and ask questions. Ask questions. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus turns around and says, well, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? In other words, what do you think you need to do in order to inherit eternal life? Basically, what Jesus was saying was, you're supposed to be a religious leader. You're supposed to be an expert. What do you think? So the man answers in verse 27. So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So he answers uh, with a quote from the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6. He knew the scriptures. He knew what God's word said. And what does Jesus say? Jesus say in verse 28, Jesus says to him, you have answered rightly. Okay, so here's a man trying to test Jesus. He says, "Uh, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what do you think? He says, love God, love my neighbor. And Jesus says, yeah, because elsewhere Jesus tells us that those two commandments do what? They sum up all of the law and the prophets. You know, all those uh, we we talked about several weeks ago. But all of those uh, those commandments, whether it's Ten Commandments or whatever, you know, don't 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 steal, don't lie, you know, don't don't murder anybody. All of don't don't commit adultery. All those things. If we're loving our neighbor and if we're loving God, then we're not going to do any of that stuff. Amen. And so Jesus says, "Yeah, you're right. Do this. Look at what He says at end of verse twenty eight. Do this, and you will live." So. What the lawyer says is what Jesus summed up elsewhere, how Jesus summed up all the law and the prophets. And if, I want you to listen to me, make sure you don't miss what I'm saying here. This is a big if. If you, somebody, anybody could perfectly live up to that, you can go to heaven if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's the standard. If you will do that and never fail in that, sure, um, that's one way to get to heaven. But what the lawyer should have caught on to at this point is that none of us can perfectly live up to that. Amen? We all fail. We all fall short. But here's the problem. When we fail and when we fall short, um, you, you know, we say somebody, somebody says, well, You know, are you a liar? No, I'm not a liar. And then they want to they point out something. Well, what about this situation? And then what do we do? We try to justify why it was okay that we said or we did whatever we did. Amen. Right? That's what we do. And so we try to justify ourselves. And so we're trying to say, well, I'm not that bad. And even when I mess up, okay, I really didn't do that. Um, Look at how he responds to what Jesus says. Jesus says, "Do this, and you shall live." Verse 29. But he. Wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, this is the key to the whole passage. Okay. This man is trying to justify his own actions. He he knew and he said rightly, Jesus, love God with all your heart, soul mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. But here's the problem. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees had taught, they taught that one's neighbors didn't include everybody. That it only included other Jews. That they were to love their neighbor and hate their enemy. <laughs> that, that they got a pass on others. Now, this is very similar to what some people say today, that we're supposed to, we're supposed to love other believers, but I don't know about beyond that, right? No, Jesus calls us to love all people. So in asking this question, uh, what this man is doing is saying, uh, uh, okay, who is my neighbor? He's trying to justify himself by by saying he's loving those of whom he's supposed to love. Other Jews, yes, but Gentiles, Samaritans, no way. Sinners, uh, those who are unclean, not at all. Jesus sees right through him. Jesus knows what he's trying to do. He's trying to justify himself and knows that the only way to help this man see the truth and to help him understand the true standard of what it is to love thy neighbor is to tell him a story to show him. You know, sometimes um, we get in situations and it's, it's hard. To, sometimes it's easier for people to, to see an answer than to hear it. Amen? So Jesus tells a story, right, here in beginning in verse 30. Look at it with me, if you will. He says, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, let's just pause there for a minute. Uh, The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was quite treacherous. Uh, It was a rocky, uh, kind of mountainous region. Um, The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was about 17 miles long, but it went, it descended about 3,300 feet From Jerusalem to Jericho. So literally when they said went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, that's exactly what they were doing. It was a long winding road, um, a rocky road, so there's a lot of places for um, thieves and robbers to hide. And so it's no surprise what we see happen next. It says, he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So, here's a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and on the way he gets attacked by a band of robbers. They take his money, take all his clothes, they beat him up and they leave him and he's he's pretty much he's about dead. Verse 31. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, priests were clergy, right? They were responsible for Uh, for the worship and sacrifices of the temple in Jerusalem, they were, think, pastor, right? So they were the pastors, if you will. Here he comes by. Certainly he's going to stop and help this man who's been uh, attacked and is laying almost dead on the road, but he doesn't. Simply says he passed by on the other side. Verse 32 says, likewise, a Levite. (laughs) They were the helpers. They helped the priests perform the rituals and, 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 and their duties in the temple. So think, think worship leader, think, uh, think security guys, think ushers, think deacons, okay, the Levites. Um, a Levite came by, again, saw the man. It says when he arrived at the place, he came and looked. He stopped. He looked at him. Man, he really needs help. But he came and did, what does it say he did? He passed by. On the other side, now, it's been said, and some believe that the reason the priest and the Levite passed by on the other side was because they they didn't want to stop because they were concerned about becoming unclean. That um, they were afraid of becoming ritually unclean if they touched um, blood, if they touched a a, a, a man who was um, um, in been injured like that, that there was possibility they could become unclean, and therefore. Um, they didn't want to touch him, and so they had this somewhat godly reason to pass by on the other side. Spence said that, and, and maybe that's the case, but I want to propose to you that, that I don't believe that's the reason why they passed by. Could be, but it seems to be. If you look back at verse 31, it tells us that a, the priest came down that road. The word there is Descended okay? So it seems to be that, which way does the road descend? Which, which I already told you, which place is higher, Jerusalem or Jericho? Jerusalem's higher, so if he's coming down that road, um, and if, if we can assume from what Jesus is saying, what we think he's saying here, he's coming away from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem and not to Jerusalem, where he would be more concerned about, or both of them would be more concerned about um, defiling themselves and becoming unclean. And so, um, The point is that they had finished their duties in Jerusalem and they were probably going back home. And so uh, their point is that they had no excuse. They had no excuse. They, They should have stopped to help. They could have stopped to help. But guess what? They didn't. They didn't stop to help. Now, maybe it is that they didn't want to get their hands dirty. Maybe it is that they were concerned about being unclean. But maybe... They just didn't want to get involved. Maybe they just didn't want to put themselves in danger. Maybe they just didn't want to be bothered at all. How many times do we see somebody that's hurting, that's struggling, and maybe even we ask them, you know, here's the obligatory answer. How are you doing today? Fine, good, good. But sometimes when somebody says that, you can tell by the sound in that voice that the, the fine ain't so fine, right? Uh, fine. And we just don't want to get involved. Um, it, maybe, maybe, it, maybe it begs an, another question. Hey, what's going on in your life? Um, what's happening? Can I say that through the years um, where I've made some of the biggest mistakes as a friend is not being there for a friend when they were going through something difficult. Whether it's maybe they lost a loved one, uh, maybe they were going through um, some health problems or some difficulties and so forth, um, or sickness or a a trial they're going through or something. Um, One of my biggest regrets is not being there for some of my friends when they were going through that stuff. But also, where I've really been able to build a bond with some people, with others, whether it's as a pastor or also as a friend, uh, is going out of my way to be there for people in hard times. Uh, what I've found is that that helps build a bond. Amen? Amen. When you're there with people, when they're going through difficult stuff, some of the closest friendships I have, some of the people I feel closest to are those who have been there for me during difficult times. Amen. And people whom I've gone out of my way to be there for them during difficult times. I think we just need to realize that being a good friend, being a real friend uh, means being there for people when they are hurting. It means being there through pe- for people when they are going through stuff. It means being there for people when they're grieving, when they're struggling, when they're crying, and can I say even when they're whining? Amen? We need to be a friend. Now let me pause here for just a minute. Let me insert a little a little butt, okay? Please don't use what I'm saying against somebody else. Okay, I'm talking to you about you, not you about them. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Hope you're if you're watching online, I hope you can hope you're with me on this, okay? Because here's sometimes what we can say is we sometimes we are so focused on ourselves that we end up saying, you know what? Yeah, they weren't there for me during the day. They're not a good friend. Listen, we all make mistakes. As I said earlier, most people don't know how to be a good friend. So listen, as, as we talked about in sermon number one of this series, okay, and if you missed that, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it, okay? It, it doesn't depend on the other person. Re- the, a good relationship, having good relationships depends on you. You can't control the other person. All you can control is you. So as far as depends upon us, we are to do what? Live peaceably with all men. We are to seek to be the best friend that we can. And I believe that being a good friend starts off with being willing to get involved. So you don't say, they didn't come to me. They didn't do this. Here's the deal. Then you look for some way to reach out to them and to get involved in their life. Amen? That's number one. Number two. Not only does being a good friend mean being willing to get involved, but but second, being a good friend takes mental, emotional, and physical effort. And everybody said, Amen. Right? It does. Now I understand some people just, Pastor, I don't need the drama in my life. <laughs> understand that. But here's the deal. Um, It's not just thinking about yourself, but it is noticing the needs of others. Consider others better than yourself. There are people around you that God has placed there for specific purposes that need you. They need you. And maybe maybe they don't know Jesus. Maybe they don't have the Lord in their life. And so they need the Jesus in you to minister to them. And so he's calling us as Christians, as believers, to do that. Amen? Look at verse 33. So we've already seen as the man was wounded lying on the side of the road because he'd been beaten half to death, a priest came by and he passed by on the other side. A Levite came by and he didn't stop either. Verse 33 says this, but a certain Samaritan. What does that mean, a Samaritan? Well, there was an area just west of Jerusalem called Samaria, where this guy's from, but those in that region were kind of, um, they were half-Jewish, part-Jewish, they were part-Gentile, had other um, heritage in them as well. So because of that, the Jews looked down on them. The Jews looked down on them as half-breeds, okay? So Jesus' parable here, he says, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where the man was, and when he, the Samaritan, saw him, the wounded man, Says he had compassion. In other words, he looked at the man and he had this deep sense of care and concern for this man. Listen, if we understand what Jesus has done for us, and he cared for us, and he loved us so much that he was willing to step out of heaven to come to die for us, that ought to, that ought to spur us on to being willing to care for others. Amen. It's talking here about a deep feeling of concern or care or sympathy for others. So it says he had compassion. So, verse 34, it didn't just start there, right? You can have compassion and say, oh, well, you know, he really needs help. And then walk on the other side, maybe. But that's not what it says. It says, then his compassion, he put feet to his compassion. So he, got, he was willing to get involved emotionally. It says, so he went to him, verse 34, and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Let's put that in modern terms. He had a first aid kid in his donkey, right, in his car, in his trunk, and so he... He pulls, pulls over and he gets the first aid kit out and he does everything he can with everything he has, probably some of the stuff he's just making do with as he goes and to, to bandage these wounds and help this guy as much as he can. And then he sticks him in the back of his car, even bloody, doesn't worry about getting all the blood in his car and all that kind of stuff. And he takes him to a hospital, okay, an inn, closest you can get in that day, I guess. The next day, verse 35, when he departed, says he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper his own money, and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So the interesting thing here is is that this Samaritan, this half Jew, half Gentile, was willing to to get emotionally involved, right, to get mentally involved. He had to think about what he was going to do to help this guy and even to get physically involved and put forth the effort to be a friend to this man when he was hurting. Uh, Now, this is somewhat unexpected on several fronts. First of all, it's unexpected because it's unexpected that a Samaritan would stop to help a Jewish man um the jews Jews hated the Samaritans, and because of that the Samaritans also hated the Jews they just didn 't like each other and so um it's it's unexpected that he would stop uh that for he would show compassion towards the Jew. It would have been inconceivable, especially to the lawyer that is listening to this. Remember, that's who the story's for, is for this lawyer that Jesus is trying to show him what real love, what real loving your neighbor looks like. For a Samaritan, he's thinking of all the good things he does, and Jesus says, listen, all those who are like you, here's what you end up doing. That's really what he was saying by talking about the priest and the the Levite. Um, The lawyer or the scribe was very much like those two guys, and that's kind of how he acted. He would never have stopped to help somebody in that situation, but look who stops this Samaritan. To him, um, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. (laughs) So first, it's unexpected that the Samaritan would stop. Second, it's unexpected that the Samaritan would be willing to do so much to take care of this wounded man. Uh, Here's a Samaritan, probably um, tearing some pieces of cloth off of his own clothing in order to make bandages to tourniquets to keep the bleeding down using his own oil using it as medicine using his own wine as a disinfectant putting the man on his own donkey and paying for his staying at the inn out of his own pocket the, the the good samaritan was willing to put forth a lot of effort to help this man right a lot of mental emotional, and even physical effort to help the man who was injured. And here's the thing, even though he barely knew the man, what a great friend he was to him, amen? You know, um, someone may not be a friend yet simply because you've not met. Why don't, you, why don't we look at people in different eyes? Don't look at them as a stranger, but look at them as a friend that you haven't met yet. Isn't that a different way to look at stuff, look at life? Just think about in our world what would happen if people looked at at it that way. Here's what what we need to understand, what we need to learn from from this, and that is that being a friend, being a good friend, means caring about other people. It, It means caring about what happens in their lives. It means that for us to reach out to them. That's what being a friend, being a good friend is about. It means being willing to be there for them, and it means putting forth effort. Mental, emotional, sometimes physical effort we have to put forth. We have to put forth time, right? If you're going to build a friendship with somebody, guess one of the biggest things it's going to take? Time. And that takes effort. Amen? So it takes time and effort in order to build a friendship or to build a relationship. Guess what? It also takes time and effort and particularly emotional effort to rebuild a friendship or to repair a relationship. And sometimes we just say, you know what, pastor, I'm just not willing to go there. I'm not willing to invest that. What if Jesus said he was not willing to invest his mental, emotional, and physical effort in you? If we're going to claim the name of Christ, friends, we got to live differently. Amen? we got to let Jesus live through us. And the best way to do that is just always keep in our mind, how did Jesus live? What did he do? What is the cross and everything that is, that is a part of that? How, what does that say to us about how we need to treat others and how we need to live towards others? It means he, he took time. He took effort to invest in us. Dr. Jeffrey Hall, communications professor at the University of Kansas, recently published research about the relationship between time and effort invested in a friendship and friendship closeness. Okay? So what's the relationship between the time and amount of time and effort we put forth and the closeness of a relationship? Here's here's kind of what he found in his studies. In general, he says, he found that it took 40 to 60 hours with someone to form a casual friendship. Hey, how you doing? You know, that's just kind of the obligatory stuff, right? He said moving from casual friend to friend required another 80 to 100 hours. Then he says, moving from friend to good or best friend takes another 160 or to 200 hours. Time spent together, he says, was a key predictor of friendship closeness. But, he says, the type of activity mattered as well. For example, he says, more time at work or in class together actually predicted lower closeness but more time and effort spent hanging out outside of work or outside of school without an agenda predicted higher closeness. In other words, the greater the time and effort put forth, guess what? The closer the friendship. The question is, are we willing to put forth the effort? Being a good friend means being willing to get involved in other people's lives. You, you're not going to be a friend. You're not going to have friends if you're not willing to get involved in other people's lives. And friends, not only does it mean being getting involved, it also means being willing to put forth some time and effort. Amen? And let me just say, ladies, you are a lot better at this than we guys are. Amen? We guys are not great at this. But guys, here's the deal. Let me just encourage you, Okay. Uh, Guys, I'm not saying you need to spend buku amounts of time talking on the phone to your best bud every day. Okay, let's just all be honest. That ain't happening. Okay, and I'm not even sure. I'm not even certain it should happen. Okay, Um, that's just not going to happen. But you know, um, I I found that some of some of my friends that we we're even separated by distance and so forth. um, When I when my wife tells me that they're going through something, you know what? A text, praying for you, man. Um, I'm here for you. Uh, how, can I, how can I help? What can we do? Um, you know, it is going. I'm, one, of, one of our friends years ago uh, went through um, a cancer bout, and um, we drove to be there um, during that. Uh, that kind of stuff is what the time and effort that God calls us to as friends. Amen? Amen. And uh, that friendship shouldn't just end at the walls of the church. It needs to go out, all right? So if we're going to reach a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we we need to make friends with whomever God puts in our path. It means getting involved. It means taking time and effort. And third, here's number three, being a good friend involves stepping outside right can we just stop it just involves stepping outside maybe that's it involves stepping outside your comfort zone involves stepping outside your comfort zone what's your comfort zone level what's your comfort level? it's a rhetorical question okay for most of us we are okay I, You know why most of us maybe don't have the friendships we want is because we're, we don't think of ourselves as self-centered, but we are. And and here's the reason, maybe we're not self-centered in the way that we go around kind of prideful and bragging all the time, but you know who we're concerned about most? Us. And the reason we're concerned about how other people think about us is because we're not concerned about other people, we're concerned about how they think about Us and we're too concerned about the discomfort that we're going to have reaching out to somebody else, and that's more concerned about who? Us. And so, friends, being a good friend involves, it, it's, you got to step outside of your comfort zone. Amen? Look at verse 36. Verse 36, Jesus ends up this parable of story this way. He says, So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell Among the thieves. Now, was it the priest? No. Was it the Levite? No. This answer is obvious, right? The way Jesus told this story, the answer is obvious. it, It is the Samaritan, right? The Samaritan is the one. Is the one who was the really the neighbor to the other. Jesus flips it around. Uh, not who is my neighbor, but, but what neighbor, you know, uh, what, what is my neighbor doing? All that, you know, Jesus is talking about. So G- the answer is obvious. And look what Jesus says, or excuse me, what the, what the lawyer answers in verse 37. He says, he has to answer this, right? It's, it's just an obvious answer. He says, he who showed him mercy. Boom, point made. At that point, I believe the guilt came on, right? Jesus says to him, Go and do likewise. It's a standard for us, right? It's a standard for us. Jesus raises the standard. This is what it looks like if you really want to love your neighbor. If you really want to do what God's called you to do, it's to show compassion and love and reach out and be a friend, even to those who are different than you, even to those who are outside of your clique. Now, for a Jew, for him to say, he who showed mercy on him. I think it's interesting that he didn't say the Samaritan. Um, for a Jew to admit that a Samaritan was the good neighbor would have been catamount to a Hatfield admitting that a McCoy was a fine fellow. It ain't going to happen, right? It's, it, it went against everything he knew. It went against everything that was ingrained in him. Friends, Jesus' point is that loving your neighbor means being a friend to all people, even the Samaritans, even for the Samaritans, the Jews, no matter what their background is, no matter where they're from, no matter what their ethnicity is, even if they're different from you, even if they're outside of your clique, even if they're outside of your friend group, being a friend means getting outside your comfort zone. And the point of all, what the story that he was telling, uh, the, the lawyer lawyer was that we all fall short of this, amen? All of us except for Jesus himself. You know what Jesus was known as? Jesus was known, they, they, they used it derogatory, but this is, uh, he was known as a friend of sinners. That's what he was known. What if you were known as a friend of sinners? That's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. Um, we all fall short. That's why we need his grace. That's why we need his mercy, as we sang about this morning. That's why we need the forgiveness that was poured out on the cross. That's the reason Jesus died. That is to, to, to forgive us for our sins and to, so that we can be right with him and so that he can change our heart. That's what he was trying to teach the lawyer. It's not about how good you are. It's about have you trusted in Christ as your Savior, amen, and have you allowed him to change your heart? You see, something amazing happens. When we trust Jesus as our Savior and when we're born again, the Holy, God says that, that we are born again and that we go from death to life. And so how do we get eternal life? The question he started out with, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, God writes our name in the book of life. We are immediately born into his family. And we, we, our heart is changed. This heart that was, that was born self-centered then uh, is changed into a heart that realizes it's all by the grace of God and that it's not all about us. And so that we then all of a sudden have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. When we're saved, God gives us his Holy Spirit because we can't do what I've said this morning on our own. We can't do that. But we need the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. He will help us to begin loving our neighbor. Amen? He will help us to step outside of our comfort zone. You know, for some reason, we think that other people are going to bite. We think that they're not going to like us. We think that others aren't going to want to be our friend. even before we ever know them, we judge others with preconceived notions. However, most of the time, guess what? Our suspicion is totally unwarranted. Most people are very similar to us. Most people are very similar to you. They have likes and dislikes. They have goals and dreams. They they want to live a nice life. They want to get a good job. They want to have a nice family with eh, reasonably good kids, right? <laughs> they don't kill each other. They're they're okay. Most people are just very much like you. In fact, I had a friend growing up. He said it a little different than this, but uh He said, remember, other people put their pants on one leg at a time just like you. Other other human beings, whether they live in in Kansas or Russia, aren't very much different than you and I. So what do we need to do? How do we go forward with this? Um, I believe we need to get off our high horse. We need to get over ourselves, and we need to stop thinking nobody wants to be our friend and we need to be a friend. Go be a friend to somebody else. I want you to think right now of somebody. I don't care who it is. Somebody right now that you have crossed paths with. Paths with. Maybe, it's, maybe it's somebody you work with. It might even be somebody that's, man, you really dread being around them. Maybe it's somebody you've met at a doctor's office. or Maybe it's a nurse or maybe it's what, you know, I don't know who it might be. How can you be a friend to that person the next time you see them? How can you go out of your way to be so nice to them and so friendly that they say, what's wrong with them? (laughs) Right? They might suspect something different. No, listen, I'm just, you know what, I'm, Jesus has given me such a joy in my life. I just want to share it with you. That's the kind of friend we're supposed to be, amen? We need to be willing to get involved in other people's lives. We need to be willing to put forth the effort, the mental, the emotional, the physical effort. Because Jesus did that for us. Friends, we need to be willing to step outside our comfort zone. Realize that not only being a friend, but having friends Yeah, it takes a lot of work, but guess what? It's worth it. It's worth it. I want to close. I want you to listen to this very carefully. I I think this is fascinating. Got a couple stories I've kind of combined here. Um, Medical researchers and social scientists have pointed out that a strong link exists between friendship and well-being. People with close friendships tend to have better health are more fulfilled, and live longer. In fact, um, psychologists and doctors have studied this type of phenomenon. One, one, one thing, how many of you have ever heard of the Rosetto effect? Anybody ever heard of the Rosetto effect? Okay. Okay. Um, it's not Rosetta Stone, okay? That's kinda, I was saying what Rosetta? Rosetta, that sounds familiar. Rosetta Stone? No, not that. It's the Rosetta effect. Here's what it is. The Rosetta effect is a phenomenon that doctors and researchers have observed, whereby there is an increased health and life expectancy and even lower rate of heart disease wherever there is a strong sense of community and friendship. Okay, so we're talking about the link between friendships and health. Here's the deal. This phenomenon is named after a small town or village uh, in Pennsylvania by the name of Rosetto, Pennsylvania. It is a small town which contains a very close-knit community of Italian immigrants who frequently stop to chat on the street They visit with one another. I was reading some stuff. The houses are really close, close because they just act like one big family. They just share everything with each other and uh, cook for each other in their backyards and what have you researchers a doctor noticed this and so researchers have studied this town they studied this little town village and it's they've shown that people who stay in Rosetto all their lives end up living longer than those who move away despite having some unhealthy habits I won't go into but and so it's called the Rosetto effect um Strong friendships can make a difference. They can make a difference in our psychological well-being. 1937, a researcher at Harvard began a long-range study on the key factors that contribute to human well-being and happiness. The study tracked a group of 268 men who entered Harvard College in the late 1930s and tracked them over the course of 70 years. Maybe some of you have heard of this study before as well. The researchers followed them through their life experiences over their whole life, followed them as they went through war and college and career and marriage and divorce and parenthood and grandparenthood and even old age. And they asked questions and have interviewed these men throughout the years and kind of watched them. But one of the things that surprised even these ambitious elite men who are now in their 90s As they looked back over their lives, one of the things that surprised them most was the fact that it was not their career successes, nor was it their celebrated accomplishments that caused them the greatest satisfaction and happiness in life. But you know what they said it was? Their relationships and friendships with family and friends. Being a good friend takes a lot of work, but it's worth it. God created us to be in community. And we, if you know Jesus as your Savior, we're going to be spending eternity together. We might as well learn to get along here, amen? Because it's going to be a long time for us to not like each other in heaven. I don't think that's going to happen, amen? I want to just say this. Are you a good friend to others? Are you a good friend to others? Notice how I framed that question. Not do you have a lot of friends, do you, how many likes do you get on Facebook, not how many Facebook friends you have. I started to share a story that said, um, that, that proved that Facebook friends aren't real friends necessarily. Um, but, but here's my question, are you a good friend? And if not, Would you allow Jesus to make you a good friend? Here's where I believe that starts. I believe it starts with admitting that we're pretty self-centered. Yeah, we want friends. We say that, but then we act very self-centered. And so we first need to admit, you know what? My world revolves around me, and I need to stop thinking about me, but I need to consider others better than myself. Would you be willing today to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for being so wrapped up in my own little world. Give me eyes for those around me so that I can can be friends to them as you've been a friend to me. Listen, he is the greatest friend we can have. Amen. And we learn from him. Would you go out from today and be a friend to others and let God use you in wonderful ways. Let's pray. Most gracious heavenly father, Lord, we come before you today uh, realizing and acknowledging and admitting that many times we are not the friend that we need to be. Lord, we want to first ask you to forgive us. Forgive us of our failings. Forgive us of our shortcomings. Forgive us of our uh, selfishness. And, Lord, teach us and show us how to be a friend. Lord, let us take your uh, example of how selfless you were how you gave of yourself for us. Let us listen to your Holy Spirit. And let us give us eyes for those around us, Lord, to be the friends that, that you called us to be. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to ask you this morning, how many of you realize and want to be a better friend. I want to just ask you, just with your head bowed, raise your your hand. I want to pray for you this morning. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, Lord, you see those hands. Lord, I pray that you do a work in our heart and in our lives to make us the friends you've called us to be. Lord, just like this life is not about collecting lots of money, not about just collecting lots of friends, it's about how we can impact others be that allow you to use us for your kingdom and your, your glory. So, Lord, let us go out today and do just that. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you or if you're looking for your next steps, Further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks and have a great week.